Hey everyone, Pastor Ryan here. So glad to uh, be with all of you. Uh, so grateful that you're here, that you're watching, uh, that you've uh, chosen to worship with us today. Today, we are continuing our series called The Way, The Truth, The Life. It's a series where we've been looking at and learning uh, from the life and the ministry of uh, Jesus. And so far we've looked at Jesus' temptation. Uh, we've looked at the uh, calling of his first disciples. We've looked at his very first miracle at that wedding in Cana where he turned water into wine. And last week, uh, if you remember, we looked at the uh, interaction that Jesus had uh, with his conversation uh, with Nicodemus, uh, the Pharisee, about being born again. Uh, now this week, we're gonna keep moving forward. Uh, we'll still be in the, in the gospel of John, in John's gospel. And we're going to be looking at uh, his record, his recounting of, of Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. And I'm really excited about getting into this story. I know many of you are probably familiar with it, but there's so much to be encouraged in this story uh, from so much to learn from this story. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and, and get those out and make your way there uh, back to the gospel of John to uh, chapter four. John four is where we're gonna be today. Uh, as, you're, as you're finding your way there to John four, I just, I wanna talk to you first about this idea uh, of influence. Now, the title of today's message is The Key to Influence. And so, so what is influence? How, how do we influence other people? How do other people influence us? Is it, is it even important to be talking about influence and to take it into account or to grow in, in influence? Uh, I'm sure many of you have heard of, of this idea of people with a lot of followers online uh, being called influencers, uh, whether they have a lot of followers on Instagram or Twitter or, or Facebook um, they, they use their platform online to influence other people to do a variety of things, whether it's to, to buy certain products or use certain services or, or embrace certain ideas, this idea of, of people online being called influencers. Uh, maybe, maybe you've watched a recent documentary on Netflix uh, that talks about how these same social media companies and services are using algorithms uh, to, to, to influence the way we think and, and the way we feel and the way we act you know, have you ever noticed how you can be talking to your, your friend or your spouse and you're talking about some random thing like golf or, or dog food or, or socks and then you'll get on your phone and you'll start scrolling on Facebook or Instagram and then you'll see an ad for, for one of those things, for, for, for golf or, or dog food or socks or whatever it was that you were talking about. It's, it's kind of scary. It's kind of freaky. Uh, they're always listening. Like I could say right now, I could say, hey, Alexa. And for some of you in your house, a device might turn on. Like I could say right now, hey, Alexa, play baby shark. And, and because it's listening, it might be doing that right now. And why are they listening? They're listening to influence us. All of us, we're being influenced in, in big ways and small ways all the time. Here's my guess though. My guess is that as we look at our lives, our lives are probably more influenced by those that are closest to us than some online tech company or, or people online. At least I hope they are. And then hopefully we are having a greater influence on those around us than those online. And for those of us that claim to be followers of Jesus, my biggest hope, my biggest hope is that we are influencing others for, for Jesus' sake, for his kingdom's sake, and not for our own. The, the big question though is, is how do we do that? How do we make that happen? How do we how do we practically influence others for Jesus? You know, do we need some kind of special strategy to do it? Is, is it something that only highly skilled, highly charismatic people can do. And listen, the answer to both of those questions is a resounding no. Uh, you don't need some sort of special strategy or, or a social media account with thousands of followers. You don't need some secret skill to influence others for Jesus. In fact, here's what's true. Listen, my influence for Jesus 
is more connected to my satisfaction in Jesus than any strategy or skill. My influence for Jesus is more connected to my satisfaction in Jesus than any strategy or skill. You know, more than smarts or skills or having the right plan, your influence for the kingdom of God, it's more deeply connected to to having a vibrant personal relationship with Jesus, a relationship where you find your ultimate satisfaction in him and him alone. And listen, the more satisfied you are in Jesus, uh, the greater your influence for Jesus will be. And this is what we're gonna see today in John 4. And so if you're there, let's go ahead and jump in and start reading at the very beginning, verse one, John 4, uh, verse one. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again uh, for Galilee. So let's stop here and, and let's first note a couple things that we see in these first few verses. First of all, it's clear that Jesus himself is is beginning to have tremendous, massive, growing influence on those around him. He is teaching with authority. He's starting to perform miracles. He's starting to perform healings. And then people all around him, they're curious, they're, they're following him, they're gathering around him. Even certain Pharisees, like we saw last week, like Nicodemus, they're interested in him and they're seeking him out to learn from him. There is so much that we can learn from Jesus. In fact, Jesus is our ultimate example on how to influence well. And here's, here's something really important we learn right off the bat in these first three verses from Jesus. First of all, we see that that Jesus frees himself from unnecessary fights. He frees himself from unnecessary fights. Uh, Again, Jesus is beginning to have massive influence in the Judean region of Israel. And we see that in verse one, as a result of this, the Pharisees, the most influential group of people in the area, they started to take notice. Now, 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 when John writes that they noticed this, what we learn later on is this is just a really nice way of saying that they noticed, but they were also getting irritated. They were getting frustrated. They were getting annoyed. They had noticed and they were seeking Jesus out, not, not just to learn what he was all about like Nicodemus did, but they were seeking him out to, to stop him. They wanted to stop Jesus from stepping on their platform. You see, Jesus' influence was beginning they could see that it was beginning to mess with their influence. Now, if, if you were Jesus, what would you do in this situation? What would you do? Would you, would you hold your ground? And would you confront the Pharisees in that moment? Would you stay there in Judea, knowing full well that what they were doing and what they were all about was bad, that their influence was toxic and that it was destructive and that it was hurting people? I mean, it would seem like in that moment, that would be the right thing to do, right? Wouldn't it? And if our behavior on Facebook and social media right now is any indication of what we do, I think many of us would step up and fight and let our voice be heard. But but what does Jesus do? What does he do? Well, look at verse three. Verse three says that after he learned about the Pharisees, he what? He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Jesus walks away. He leaves the area. He avoids the confrontation. Jesus frees himself from unnecessary fights. Jesus will engage in confrontation, be sure about it, but he will not engage in unnecessary fights. And would God give us, especially during this season, the wisdom to do the same? Would God give us the wisdom to tell the difference between what's urgent and what's actually important? Because oftentimes, many times, many times, 
Those two things are not the same. And would God not give, only give us the, the wisdom to discern the difference between the two, but would he also give us the self-control uh, to walk away from those fights in order to then turn and engage with what's really important, to pour ourselves into what's really important. Let's keep reading. Look at verse four now. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Note something important here. Jesus is getting tired. This is the son of God. This is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And Jesus is getting tired. And so, yes, this, this Jesus, he is truly fully God, but listen, he is also fully and totally human. And so what does he do when he gets tired? He, he stops and he rests. He stops by the well. John writes that he was getting weary from his journey. He was weary, but here's, here's another important thing to learn from, from Jesus here. Uh, he works even when he's weary. He, he works even when he's weary. Jesus in, in the coming verses, what we're gonna see, spoiler alert, uh, he's about to essentially do some biblical soul care uh, with the woman at the well, okay? He's, here's the thing though, he's, he's not going to do it well-rested. He's not gonna do it on a full stomach. Jesus, he's weakened, he's tired, he's thirsty, he's weary, it's hot outside. John says here that it's the sixth hour, which means that it was noon, the sun's out, full blast, but this doesn't stop Jesus from doing what he's about to do, which is to give his time, which is to give his energy, his attention to someone who desperately needs to hear about him and desperately needs to hear about what he has to offer. And so listen, in our effort to influence others for Jesus, oftentimes our most powerful moments of ministry for him are going to come in our most wearied and weakened states. And this is exactly what the apostle Paul was writing about in 2 Corinthians 12, when he says this, he says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why is that the case? Because listen, when we're weak, God shows up and he shows himself to be strong. You know, don't believe the lie that you have to have your life in perfect order uh, before God starts to work and move through you. It's just not true. And don't believe the lie that you don't have time to influence others for Jesus because you're going through some difficult or busy or hard or oppressive season and you feel drained and you feel depleted because yes, rest is, it's super important. And Jesus does stop to rest here, but, but, but so often it's in those seasons of personal emptiness and hardship that the Lord comes alongside us and fills us up and provides the power uh, to, to do what only he can do in those moments. And we see here that Jesus, he works even when he's weary. Now look again at verse six, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to drink, uh, to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, now it's, it's important to note here that, that what this Samaritan woman is, is doing here uh, is a little unusual, that drawing water at noon was unusual. Typically, uh, women would do this kind of work, but they would draw water from the well either in the morning or in the evening uh, when, the, when the weather was cooler. And it was a very like communal event. Many women in the town would, would be gathered around the well. It was sort of like a modern day a water cooler. And then they would gather around the well and they'd catch up on the latest news and the latest gossip around town. But, but this woman wasn't involved with that. 
This woman came out to draw her water from the well in the middle of the day when there would typically be no one else around. And we'll have a, we'll have a better understanding as to why she would have done this later. However, this time when she went out at noon, uh, there was someone there at the well. This time, Jesus was there and he was there on purpose. And here's another thing we learn about influence from Jesus here at the very beginning of John 4. He approaches every situation appropriately. That's what Jesus does. He approaches every situation appropriately. You know, Pastor Nate made reference to this about Jesus a little bit last week. And when he talked about uh, how Jesus engaged with, with Nicodemus, do you remember that? He, he mentioned that he, that he talked with Nicodemus at night. And, and the reason why Jesus did that uh, was, was first of all, to afford Nicodemus some privacy, uh, to, to talk to Jesus and not be uh, seen by his other Pharisees that he uh, did life with. But, but it would also afford Jesus the opportunity to engage in an uninterrupted and intentional conversation with Nicodemus. And now note that much of the same is happening here with this interaction with the woman at the well. The, Jesus' disciples, we, we saw in verse eight, they had left, they went into the city to, 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 to get food. And so no one would interrupt Jesus from talking with, from in a sense, counseling this woman. But, but also note that instead of, of, of engaging with her in the middle of the night, he's engaging with this woman in the middle of the day in a public place. Now there are certain, certainly uh, cultural boundaries that Jesus is, is really totally disregarding in this conversation and in having this talk with her. And we'll get to that in just a minute, but notice that this conversation isn't happening in the middle of the night in, in a private setting. Again, that's because Jesus approaches every situation appropriately. And finally, just one more thing. Uh, notice, notice how he starts his conversation. Jesus doesn't just jump right into heavy duty spiritual matters. Look at, look at his first words to this woman. Look what they are. Give me a drink. He just asks for water. And listen, just like we need to be asking God for wisdom and being able to discern what's urgent and what's important, would we also be dependent on God for, for, for the wisdom and the winsomeness to approach each and every situation that we have with other people appropriately. Because how often, listen, how often do we come barreling into conversations uh, with, with zero regard for the other person, where they're at personally, and we come barreling in with our agenda and what we think is right and what we think is truth and how we want to do it and what we, with no regard for them. Would we learn from Jesus to, to approach each conversation dependent on his spirit's guidance? Would we be sensitive as to how to best approach each opportunity and not for the sake of the other person's feelings, okay? Don't hear me say that, but for the sake of the gospel and the advancement of God's kingdom. Now look at, look at verse nine. Now verse nine says this, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So a few times now I've alluded to the fact that what Jesus is doing here would have shattered some common cultural boundaries and expectations. And, and the Samaritan woman is, is fully aware of this and she calls it out right away, right after Jesus asks for that water. Um, but what we'll see is Jesus doesn't care. He isn't constricted by man-made tradition. He is compelled in this moment by God's call. And the fourth thing we learn from Jesus as he influences others is this, Jesus seeks to save all. He seeks to save all. There were two shocking things about Jesus engaging with this woman here. First of all, that he'd engage with the woman at all. I mean, it was pretty uncommon for an unmarried man to just approach a woman like this, especially a woman with a, with a history like this Samaritan woman. 
but that, but that, that doesn't stop Jesus. But even more shocking than that was, was that he was a Jewish man who'd engage uh, with a Samaritan woman. Now, without getting into the full history of, of the Jews and the Samaritans, uh, we can simply say this, that the, that the Jews, they loathed the Samaritans. They, they viewed the Samaritans as this group of um, unclean, uh, pagan half-breeds. Uh, because you see, many of the Samaritans' ancestors, they, they were also, they were originally Jewish, but they intermarried with, with pagan nations and eventually formed uh, their own culture, uh, their own nation of a sort, their own system of worship. And because of this, the Jews would have nothing to do with them, but not Jesus. Jesus wasn't prevented by the fact that, that, that she was a woman or that she was of a different ethnicity or practiced a different uh, religion. He wasn't put off by her past. And so listen, as, as we seek to influence others for Jesus, we must remember that those who look and think and act like us, they aren't the only ones worthy of our time. You know, Jesus made time for people that were vastly different than him. People that in his culture weren't to be talked with or engaged with at all. And in fact, many, many pious Jews wouldn't even go through Samaria at all. There was a longer route around Samaria than many of them would take in order to avoid those people. For Jesus though, to, to even accept a drink of water from this woman, according to the law, it wouldn't make him unclean. He didn't care though. He didn't care though. He, he was doing all of this on purpose. And in John's highlighting all of this at the very beginning of his gospel for, for a purpose. He, he's showing us, and what we'll see later on is that while salvation does come from the Jewish people and the person of Jesus Christ, salvation is being made available to all. Uh, that means that as we seek to influence others for Jesus, there is not a single person that's too far gone. There is not a single person that's too different, too unlike us. In fact, listen, oftentimes the greatest work that God does through us is with those who are most unlike us. And so, so yeah, right off the, right off the bat, we, we learn so much from Jesus on, on how to engage with others on how to influence others well for his sake. But, 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 but before we go down that path of trying to do what Jesus did, I think it's important for us to do some self-evaluation. We, we need to engage with the reality of our own hearts before we engage with others in order to influence them for Jesus' sake. Well, why? Uh, remember our big idea, we can have all the right tools, we can have all the necessary skills and we can have a great plan. Uh, but remember, my influence for Jesus is more connected to my satisfaction in Jesus uh, than any of those other things. And so, so, yeah, Jesus has just asked this Samaritan woman for, for a drink of water from the well. And, and, and this woman, she is a little taken back uh, by that action, by that request, by this from this Jewish dude who she's never seen before, who would be in her neighborhood asking for water. Like, why is this happening? And so let's see how Jesus responds to her then in, in, in verse 10. Look at what he says. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. So, so listen, 
Jesus is legitimately tired and, and it's probably hot outside and, 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 he's, and he's legitimately thirsty. Like all of that's a real thing, but Jesus uses this moment in time. He uses his personal need for literal water and the presence of this literal well of water as an opportunity to talk about something bigger than literal water, to talk about this, the spiritual living water. Now, in, in, a, in, a, in a real sense, among the Jewish people, uh, living water was a real physical thing. It, it's used in a literal and spiritual sense throughout the, the Hebrew Bible, throughout the Old Testament. The phrase, the Hebrew phrase is mayim chayim. And, and literally the phrase refers to like this idea of fresh spring water. You know, for instance, in Genesis 26, 19, it's a story about Isaac's servants and, and they're digging up these old wells that were filled in by the Philistines after his father Abraham died. And so his servants, they're digging and they stumble upon a well that's, that's, that's full of living water. And it says in, in verse 19, but when Isaac's servants dug in the valley, they found there a well of spring water. So they dig it up and they find this spring water, this living water. And what do they do when they find it? Well, if you read the rest of that story, what they do is they fight over it. They, they fight over it. And why? Well, because it was so valuable. Water was so valuable, particularly living water to the Israelite people, because by and large, they lived in a very arid, very waterless environment. You know, water from, from a spring, it was drinkable. It, it sustained life. And it was referred to as living water because having it, having access to it, having a source of living water was the difference between having life and having death. And so Jesus, he knows all of this, obviously, but he's implying an even bigger meaning than just literal living water to satisfy one's temporary uh, thirst or to sustain one's physical life. He is talking about himself as a source of nourishment for one's spiritual life. And he's talking about himself as a source uh, to give one eternal life. You know, later in John, in, in chapter seven, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus talks about this living water again in, in verse 37. And he says this, he says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of what? Living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's crying out to the person who's hungering, to the person who's thirsting for something, metaphorically speaking. You know, something bigger than, than yourself or what you've been going after. You know, you've tried that job that makes good money or provides a certain degree of security. Or you tried the relationship, you, the spouse, the kids, you've tried the experiences and the travel and the security or the comfort or the pleasure and, and nothing quite satisfies, nothing quite does the trick. And what Jesus is saying in John 7 and what he's getting at with the woman at the well in John 4 is this, listen, he's saying, I will satisfy you. I am enough. I am the living water that you've been looking for and that you've been searching for. And he goes on in verse 13 and 14, he says this, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of, of this water, of the water in the, in the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Remember I said earlier that before we try to do what Jesus did, we need to do some self-evaluation. And to do that, we need to ask ourselves some questions. And here's the first one I think we need to ask of ourselves. It's this, am I personally satisfied by Jesus? Would you be honest with yourself right now? 
and ask yourself, am I really, truly, honestly satisfied by Jesus? And have I taken him up on his offer? Have I been truly satisfied by him, contented with him? Do I experience real lasting peace as a result of having drank this living water? Or is that not true of me? Am I still going to other wells? Am I still going to other wells that promise to satisfy, but every time I go there, they leave me thirstier than when I started? I mean, it's so common. It's in our nature. It's what God indicts the people of Israel in, in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 2.13, he says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, me, the, the fountain of what? Living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Everything other than Jesus is that. It's a broken cistern that can't hold water. You know, out of all the water available to ancient Israelites, collected cistern water was the worst. It was the lowest of the low. It was nasty. And our attempts at finding satisfaction in things other than Jesus is compared to not only that kind of water, but the kind of water that's collected then in broken cisterns so that all of the remaining water would, would spill out and what we'd be left with is dirty sludge at the bottom. And so when we trade other things for Jesus, we're trading away fresh, pure spring water for stagnant puddle water, for trash, for sludge. Am I personally satisfied by Jesus? Listen, because when I am, I will have a spring of living water flowing out of me that will naturally begin to work its way into every facet of my life that I won't be able to stop myself. I won't be able to stop myself from influencing others for the glory of Jesus, for his kingdom's gain. And that's what we want because listen, that is the absolute best way to spend our lives here on earth. And if we're not satisfied by Jesus, we might be a lot more like this Samaritan woman than we think. Like her, we might just not be getting it. We might be totally missing it. Look at verse 15. The woman responds to him and she says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Another question we might have to ask ourselves is this, am I completely missing it? Is there a chance that I am completely missing it? And the woman at the well at this moment certainly was. She, totally, she still totally thought Jesus was talking about real water, like some sort of super water that, that once you drank it would literally make you never thirsty again. And this is how we miss it. This is how we miss it. We think Jesus is going to like magically make everything here on earth better for us. Uh, that, the, that the water he provides us is gonna make our family better and it's gonna heal us of all of our sickness and, and make us not feel bad anymore. And our marriage problems are gonna go away and we're gonna have a better job with more money. But listen, none of that is true. Are there biblical principles that you can follow that sometimes might lead to some of those outcomes? Yes, sometimes. But does satisfying yourself in Jesus guarantee any of those things? No, absolutely not. The reward of being satisfied in Jesus is not, is not a better life in the here and now. It's just Jesus. He's the reward. And, and, and if you think it's anything else, you are totally missing it. And so if I'm missing it, then what's the solution? How do we fix that? Well, let's look at how Jesus leads the Samaritan woman through it. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
So clearly this, this woman here, she's had quite a past. And regardless of why she's had this past, um, what we see here is that she's still living in sin. And Jesus calls her out on it. She's living with another man who is not her husband. And this man and all the other men that she's been with, listen, they are the wells that she's been going to to satisfy her thirst. So is Jesus being mean here? Is he being insensitive by rubbing her face in, in her past, in her very far from perfect past? No, I don't think so. You know, what, what Jesus was doing here is he was, he was redirecting her heart. That's another question we might have to ask ourselves, especially if we know that we're missing it, is this, am, am, am I in need of redirection? Am I in need of redirection? Jesus is redirecting the woman to see the true state of her heart. Do, do we need him to do the same for us right now? You know, he asks her about her past, not to condemn her, but he does it in order to awaken her to her own sinfulness. You see, Jesus was there and he was offering her a gift that she didn't know she needed. You know, Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, it is no use putting on plasters where there is no knowledge of a sore and no use attempting to fill a void where there was no feeling of emptiness. You see, the woman had to be redirected. She had to have her eyes fixed on her need. She needed to be able to see her wounds. She needed to be able to see her emptiness before she could embrace Jesus and really be satisfied by him. She had to first be brought low to see that her condition was in desperate need of this living water that Jesus offered. And perhaps if we keep missing it, this is what the Lord needs to do in our lives. Perhaps this is what he's been doing for all of us this past year. He needs to bring us low. He needs to redirect us to help us see our hearts in their true condition. So we would really see our desperate need for him. You know, the woman, she, she keeps talking about this in, in verse 20. And, and she says this about worship amongst her people. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And there's so much that we could unpack theologically in these verses. And typically when, when we go through John 4, that's what we do with this passage. But, but, but here, just to put it simply, here's what Jesus is telling the Samaritan woman in all of this talk about worship and where to worship and what appropriate worship looks like and worshiping in spirit and truth and how to worship. Here's what he's doing. He's inviting her. He's inviting her and he's telling her, listen, your past doesn't matter. Your gender doesn't matter. Your ethnicity doesn't matter. It doesn't matter uh, that you used to wrongly worship what you didn't know on this mountain. Listen, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ and I invite you now to worship me. I invite you now to satisfy yourself in me. Turn away from the broken cisterns that will never satisfy you and find your everything in me. This is what Jesus invites you to. Wherever you are, 
Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, wherever you've been worshiping, whatever broken cisterns you've been trying to satisfy your thirst with, turn away from those things. You are no longer defined by them. You know that they cannot satisfy you and that only Jesus can satisfy you. Only he can offer you the living water that you've been looking for that will stop your searching and stop your thirsting. Drink deeply from him and be satisfied by him because because not only will you be doing it for your own heart's sake, you'll be doing it for other people. Look at what the woman does after she embraces Jesus. Look at verse 27. Just then the disciples, they came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman then left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. This interaction with Jesus, it, it, it changed her. It transformed her. She literally leaves behind her water jar, her cistern, her pursuit of water from that well that temporarily satisfies. She left it behind and she went into the town to tell others about this man, this Jesus, the one who was the Christ, the Messiah, the one who offered living water that really truly satisfies. And she finds her satisfaction in Jesus and Jesus alone and then goes into the town with no regard for how people would receive her because of who she was or the life that she was living or her past. And she begins then in this moment to influence others for the kingdom of God. You see, this can be you, it can be me. When we encounter Jesus, when we delight in him, when we are truly deeply satisfied by him, it changes us, it transforms us. You know, we leave behind those broken cisterns and we begin to influence others for his sake. We begin to influence others for his kingdom's gain because because we've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. And we want to influence others to experience that same thing. Let's pray. Father God, again, we, we are so grateful for your word and we're so grateful that it teaches and that it instructs and that it encourages. Lord, would you forgive us Would you forgive us for turning away from you and and pursuing satisfaction in water that doesn't satisfy? Would you fix our eyes on our true need? Would you help us to see the real state and real condition of our hearts? And would we repent of those things and turn away and turn to you, Jesus, and find our satisfaction in you? And as a result, would the joy and would the peace and would the contentment that wells up inside of a heart that's truly satisfied in you spill out and spill over into the world around us so that we would have real, true influence for your sake, Jesus, and for your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen.